Have you been uh, watching the Greta Thunberg documentary? You know, she's going around the world, really, looking at climate change and what yeah. we can do about it. I, I watched the first one. I haven't seen parts two and three yet, uh, but they're mm. recorded. I'm sure I will. But yes, mm, good. Well, it's interesting. Isn't she? She's talking to all these scientists, talking about the future. Um, she's ve- she's ve- actually very impressive, isn't she? Yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, I believe in the cause and all the rest of it. What about you? No, I was very impressed, yeah. But, you know, I did come to one conclusion. Which is? (laughs) There is that, yes. (laughs) And now we've got to try and make each other feel better. (laughs) Get on with the podcast. Welcome everybody to episode 100 and, hang on, 150, no, 57, is is it, you haven't updated the number on the thing, that's why you do it, alright, do it again, not sure I've got the energy now, no, alright, welcome everybody to episode 157, Mid-Faith Crisis podcast, I preferred the way you did it the first time, (laughs) Yes, this is the Extinction Rebellion edition. <laughs> well, it's rebellious, and we're going extinct, so I suppose that's right. <laughs> I'm largely extinct. Um, yes, yes, well, here we are again. How Hello. are you doing? Well, OK, thanks. Yeah, you know, here we are. We're just trying to muddle through this pandemic, aren't we? And um, And there you go. Why did we do this to people? We said, look, as a commitment, to, 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 to make things better through the pandemic, we'll make sure we record every week. Has, is that a blessing or was that a threat in some way? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was thinking that uh, basically after listening to us, even the pandemic seemed better. I see. It seemed more preferable. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, dear, oh, dear. I'm trying to avoid the news for my own well-being most of the time. Mm. But I'll tell you what I have done. I went to the Tulip Festival in Arundel. Now, that's something that does your heart glad. Who'd have thought there were so many different coloured tulips in the world? And, in fact, so many. It's like a mini Amsterdam in Arundel. It's lovely. So, what is it? It's a big sort of... What are they? Just planted lots, Well, firstly, firstly, there's just, like, carpets of tulips everywhere. But also, there are, like, these exotic, you know, borders and plants which just... I don't know, thousands of different varieties of of tulips. I'll put a post yeah. on our Facebook page so you can see them. Uh, but that's a very beautiful thing. Watched a film uh, last week called Promising Young Woman, which sounds a bit like one of your reviews, I can't help thinking. But yeah, it's, 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 it's basically it's, my autobiography. It's, uh, but that, that, was, that was actually surprisingly good. Uh, very good. Recommend that. Uh, hmm. It's it's just, it's a sort of quite dark film really. It's about revenge mm. on 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 a friend who's abused basically, and her avenging that. Uh, but very interesting in this Me Too age, you know, you with your three daughters. Yeah, you should watch it. It's interesting. What I I know about it, and what what intrigues me about it is it's it is as you say, it's a revenge movie, isn't it? Mm. And, and quite dark. But the writer is also an actress who appeared in Call the Midwife. 
<laughs> and I thought I can't get those two things together. It seems like you know very very cheery and lovely. And... Yes, and very very dark. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. So that's good. What about you? What have you been up to? Um, not a lot. I've enjoyed the garden. I love you know things yeah. are coming back to life. And yes, things. I, I, the great thing for me this year is because I only sort of really got back into gardening last year. Mm. The joy at the moment is discovering I haven't killed everything. That's <laughs> yeah. the great thing. You know, going out and saying, oh, my goodness, that's growing back. How mm. did that happen? You know, so so every day it's like something new. So I'm really enjoying that. And uh, But I do I feel really tired, quite sort of run down. But the good thing mm. is I've got a holiday next week. What? So that's Ooh. nice. So that means no podcast next week. No podcast. So, you know, that decision that we took to go weekly is for a week at least rescinded. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, no podcast next week, I'm afraid, everybody. I'm taking a week off. Well, enjoy it. You need it, and I hope you are refreshed by it, by my mm. friend. I'm yeah. going to go yeah. to lovely Suffolk, and I'm staying in a house that oh. is within walking distance of Minsmere. Well, you're annoying me a little bit, but mm. I'm, I'm kind of happy for you. So you just wait for the intros, actually. Shall I record more of yes! the intros that you do? Yes! Lots of birdsong. Yes, do. Oh, I right, would genuinely love it. Do you know that there's that amazing moment when you go onto the visit and there's that cacophony of seabirds, you know, try and get that. Get that for me. I'll be a happy man. I shall. I shall take my recorder. Fine. Without further ado, can Mm. we move on to feedback? Yes, let's do this. Because I've got a brilliant email from someone who calls himself David and he says this. Hi, Joe and Nick. And then very importantly in brackets, he's put in order of seniority, obviously. So that's hi, Joe and Nick. Just yeah, just, okay. just want to stress that, first of all. He says, firstly, well done for keep going. Uh, who'd have thought you'd have got to over 150 episodes? Uh, he says this. And also he's uh, summarising that his uh, a brother is going to be a certain age this year. Oh, it's that, David. <laughs> <laughs> a certain age with a naught on it. Um, really, yeah. <laughs> Great. We're going to be saying a lot more about we that. We are not going to be saying any more about that. Anyway, uh, very strong start to the email, David. Thank you very much. <laughs> he, say, he says this, and on to my question. He says, I can't remember because, frankly, the episodes tend to blur together after a while, but have you tackled the issue of prophetic words? I know that uh, this is a real theological minefield, but that's never stopped you both before. I was was thinking about this the other day in respect to a friend of mine who was slash is convinced that he will still see the fruition of a word that was given to him many years ago. And whilst it's not my place to say that it won't happen, as time marches on, the likelihood is getting smaller and smaller. I always had a real issue with people who gave prophetic words without there ever being a proper testing and checking process undertaken before they waded in. I think that much damage has been done in this area. But what if you do check it out? What if you get it verified from other sources and yet it still doesn't happen? I know that the writer to the Hebrews hinted that we do not see everything we are promised, but does that mean that we cling on to these words, even though everything around us would seem to point to them possibly not being right in the first place? I haven't explained myself very well, but I really want to gently let my friend down because I'm pretty sure that what he was told wasn't properly checked out. But of course, I could be completely wrong and so could do untold damage in the process. Perhaps I would be better off to just keep loving him and see what develops and be on hand with a large glass of wine if that time of realisation dawns. Anyway, would welcome your unfathomable wisdom on this point if you get a chance to chat it over. In the meantime, keep up the excellent work, blah, 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 blah. 
Well, thank you to my brother for that. What a great, uh, great question. And may it I just is. point out that all the birthday stuff and the age stuff, he is my older brother. So, you know, whatever well, happens, that's always going to be true. Anyway. Well pointed out. I, th- I think this is a really good point. Really it is. good. Issue. Yeah, yeah. I've got a friend who years ago was um, in a big sort of charismatic church and, and was... Uh, sort of part of the team the core team and but was also sort of taken aside and, and people had words for him that he was going to be in leadership mm. he's going to be a leader well of course it, it didn't happen for him and it completely you know messed him up for years because he thought am i doing something wrong or what's yeah. going to happen you're hanging around i think it was deeply unhelpful in the end mm. and i i i think there's a real issue i mean mm. what can we say the, the bible takes prophecy very seriously mm. You know, you get it wrong, <laughs> you get stoned. So, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Quite a few people that, you know, I know should be stoned. I, I had yeah. loads of those. I mean, it's basically how you went around encouraging people. You'd have a word for them. And it's going to be, you're going to be a mighty league. I mean, yes. if instead of saying mighty, they'd said useless, it actually would have been true in my case. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, well, we know, did talk that... about this, didn't we? You know, about King of the Badgers, didn't we? I seem to recall. Yeah. You're going to be a... Uh, Something like that. And there was yeah. a New Testament role of um, there was a New Testament role of prophet as well in the early, very early church. As far as we yeah. can tell, there's a document called the Didache, which mm. is which is a sort of early church um, manual, and it and it talks. It's quite funny actually because it talks about two roles: the apostle and the prophet. And these are itinerant roles. People go round mm. sort of doing things, mm. and it's quite clear. It says if if anybody in, if any of the prophets say that they you should give them money, throw them out. <laughs> <laughs> and equally, if any of the prophets order food or ask for a really? meal, you should throw it. Yeah. So if you're up there prophesying and you go, I think the words get the, I think the Lord's given me a word, and that word is Domino's pizza. Uh, <laughs> could somebody order me one? Yeah. You're actually thrown out. I get that word a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you, but I think you're right. I think it half the well, a lot of the time, it's just spiritualizing encouragement. Yes. It's just exactly. Yeah. And it comes from a couple of points. It comes from, from, firstly, that you might not be listened to if, unless you say this is from the Lord. Mm. I think I, I mean I'm convinced I've done that in the past. Yeah, I know I've done it when I was younger because I'm young and I want to mm. say something, and and therefore I, you know, you you pray see it in the kind of meetings that we used to find ourselves in. Yeah, exactly. The, you know, I think I think the Lord is saying this. Yes, exactly. It was always I remember there's one guy in our church. He always used to go, "My children." I love you. You're great. Yeah, but, you know, yeah. well, don't watch Line of Duty because it offends me or whatever, you know, but it was always <laughs> it was always lovely on the whole. But, you know, yeah. Harry Potter's evil. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and so I think it's 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 so it's a sort of lack of confidence in just standing up and saying, well, I think this, you know. Yeah, exactly. It, it, yeah. And, and if, if you just said that to people, you say, look, I think you have real leadership qualities. Yeah, that's actually easier for them to cope with if it doesn't happen than if yeah. the Lord wants you to be a leader. Yeah, exactly. Then whose fault is it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not going to be the Lord's, is it? No, it's ne- no, it's never his, is it? It's <laughs> no, never his. It always gets off the it's hook. Always the Lord. Ours. <laughs> it's like that thing that Adrian said on the podcast. Yeah. Adrian Plath, you know that, that trap that you fall into. This. The Lord is going to do something, but if it doesn't happen, it's still your fault. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> it's true. 
Yes. Um, the question for me, I think, is can I still be open to the supernatural? Mm. To the idea that God might actually yeah. put something in my mind, might actually say something. Yes. Well, whilst at the same time to have the confidence to say what I, I think needs saying without having to sort of spiritualise it in that way, really. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I kind of... Because I, I still get hints and intuitions and all sorts of things. I, yeah, I call them spiritual intuitions. But I'm I'm almost embarrassed to say... Well, I, d- I don't ever say the Lord. No. The Lord has said... I just say, I just, I, oh, I, but I will often say, I just have a sense that this is the right thing here. Yeah, so that's that kind of attentiveness, I think, is really important yeah. to work on. I often... Yeah, I have that as well. If I'm talking to people, particularly yeah. if there's a difficult pastoral issue or something, you know, you want... You want to be listening to see if, yeah. if you are getting any um, yeah. a- any messages, as it were. And I don't think... I mean, you know, I know you don't mean it this way, but I don't particularly like the word supernatural because I think it probably is actually natural to have mm. that kind of intuitive... Uh, yeah, I, I think God's placed that in our hearts, to be intuitive. Yeah, no, I like... And to oh, be that's in, true. That's in, a good point. Intuitive. I don't know what a better word would be, though. That's no. But you are right. We should be naturally attuned to it. You are right, yeah. I think. Yeah, and I like the way David finishes with the glass of wine and. Being yeah, you that's... see, that's what you, that's that's good. What did you say? Keep loving, see what develops, and be ready with a glass of wine. I think yeah. that sounds like a very good pastoral approach to pretty much everything, really. And also, it enables me to see where all the pastoral genes went in your family. <laughs> 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 Thanks to that, David. This is true. Actually. <laughs> he got your share as well. <laughs> well, you see that that is true because that the the kind of prophetic word that I do like is the rebuke. You yeah. know, I like to do that quite a bit. Yeah. Why am I not surprised? So may I rebuke you for that? And let's move on. Okay. Well, look, let's move on to a brilliant email from Rebecca. And apologies, Rebecca, we've been holding on this one for quite a while. So thank you for your patience, even though you had no choice. But Rebecca yeah, wrote, <laughs> yeah, Rebecca wrote in following the brilliant interview with Margaret Metcalf uh, that we did way back in episode 149. And she says this, Dear Joe and Nick, first, thank you. Your podcasts were recommended by a friend and they've really supported me through lockdown. I've been to them last summer. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And then she says this, I've thought to write many times. Your discussions are so thought-provoking. Hearing this one today on language, I felt compelled to write. I've become increasingly aware over the last number of years that the English language is fraught with gender bias. Take, for example, the word bachelor. The mind drifts to 007 bachelor pads and the high life. The feminine equivalent is spinster, which conjures up images of old haggard women too ugly to be loved. In fact, I and many of my single female friends are attractive, intelligent and quite as able to live the high life as the bachelor and his pad. Although it might not be as safe for us to go out alone, sadly. And she says, to take another example, I watched a popular daytime quiz show where a contestant said of his female rival, I'm going to stick with the easier options because I don't know what mood she's in today. This was never said of a male rival. The word for him was form. The implication is that while men can be on form or off their game, women are moody. It's true, isn't Mm. it? It's it's Mm. shocking. I was advised by a friend that as a woman, I should write in emails that I feel, in inverted commas, a certain option is the right one to take. Even though in my mind, I thought, in inverted commas, it, and decided, in inverted commas, it. Thinking and deciding is what men do. The sad thing is changing the language actually works and I get a better response from colleagues when I use the female terminology. So I was very disappointed when you seemed to fall into your own chap. 
if the only way to see God or the divine as loving, caring, forgiving, etc., is to assign a female pronoun, then the gender bias is proved. I have a father on earth who is tender, loving, forgiving, and able to express those feelings. He is also the intelligent guide in my spiritual life, my fortress and protector to whom I run in times of trouble. Perhaps I am fortunate that I had loving parents who could both be loving and both be the discipline when I needed it. They are far from perfect, being human and all that, but they showed me that God is all of these things. I appreciate for some this is not true and finding another example to follow is needed. My parents fostered and so many chose them as their example and I'm blessed to have many brothers and sisters as a result. There is another concern that in feminising God and his bride, the church, we make the church ever more unattractive to men who are taught to be strong and to be the fortress. I was once told by a guy on a date that religion was a crutch that people who are not so strong need. The irony of his disrespecting his date was lost on him. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Actually, it takes great strength to attempt to follow in Jesus' footsteps. Take up your cross. What, that huge, heavy thing? <laughs> the idea that only the sick, weak or... <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> we like that, Rebecca. The idea that only the sick, weak or disabled need God or that he's um, for women and children is already rife. And one of the reasons I have so many single female friends, we'd like a Christian man to walk into our lives, but the statistics are not in our favour. <laughs> Since the gender bias does exist in our language, I feel more comfortable referring to God as king than queen despite the fact that I have huge respect for our own long-lived and fair-minded monarch, not to mention her incredible musical legacy. Father <laughs> rather, rather than mother, which may speak of Mother Earth, Mary, Mother of God? Question mark. Until women can stand equally alongside men in language, work and the church, I fear that feminising God may be detrimental to the amazing message of salvation. It is no wonder to me that God chose to send his only son to become man, would our world be different if the divine had chosen to send her only daughter to become woman? Or would she have been overlooked, ignored and married off or written off as a spinster? I am every day considering the language I use and how it supports or breaks down the gender bias. This podcast throws light and discussion on such an important topic. Keep up the great work. It's comforting to know I'm not alone in crisis and hearing what you have to say is bringing me to peace with my faith. Thank you, Rebecca. Well, there's a lot in there. There was a lot there. Thank you, Rebecca. Yeah. Yes, of course, I, I, I want to agree. Feminising God is as fraught with danger as masculinizing God. I mean, I genuinely think that. So, Well, of course it is, For yes. some people it's really unhelpful, but I suppose the point I'm trying to make is constantly masculinizing God is not helpful. Um, is masculinizing even a word? Is I'm what not, I would want to point you there. I don't know, is it? I don't know. Masculinizing, Masculinating? Mm. Mas... Making go God there. masculine. Yes. Yeah, OK. Yeah, sure. And yes, if God sent his only daughter into a patriarchal system, she would have been ignored or told she was moody or asked if she was on a period because, you know, that was ritually unclean as the patriarchal system of the day decided. So and, and also at the time, I think I'm right in saying that women weren't considered to have souls by the vast majority. Um, I, don't, I don't know much about that, to be honest. So, I've never come across that, but I have heard it. Yeah. So, so yeah, God didn't send his only daughter for obvious reasons, it seems to me. Um, but I suppose what I think about, you know, the point Rebecca's making is that I'm, I'm glad it's not a problem for her because she had an excellent role model yeah. in, in her father. And it seems to me to be a psychological fact that we do project onto our male image of God our own 
fathers. So if you have a great loving father, that's so good. It's really hard, isn't it? Because it's all metaphor. And and even yeah. metaphors are affected by... Well, all metaphors are affected by gender bias just the same as any other language. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, king of the jungle. We talk of king of the jungle. That's the lion. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and we don't talk of queen of the jungle. I don't think we do anyway. No, no, we don't. Yeah. No. And, and but, it, but metaphors aren't necessarily any more real in that way than anything no. else. I mean, I was thinking about this. The king of the jungle, that's why Aslan works as a metaphor. Yeah. Everybody loves Aslan because it was a great yeah. big lion. Fact is, all the female lions do all the work. Yeah, exactly. They're the fierce yeah. ones. Yeah, You're much exactly. more likely to get attacked by a female lion because they'll be out hunting while the male lion is up a tree just sunning himself. So, yeah. Waiting for the females to bring his food to him. It's yeah. classic, isn't it? Even yeah, nature's it got yeah. gender bias. So yeah. all I'm trying to say is that the, that the metaphorical animal isn't necessarily the truth. It's how does this metaphor work? Yeah. Um, you know, is is the only issue, I think. And yes. and that's the problem. If, if we're constantly yeah. using one set of metaphors... And yeah. they're not working for one group of people. Then I think we mm. we must at least try and find different ways. I guess. Yeah. I'm I'm wondering how many people do think of it as a metaphor, though. You know, God is our Father. Full yes. stop. Yes. Well, that is the issue. Yeah. So so the metaphor creeps yeah. over into the reality. Yeah. So, you know, um, and that and that's the problem. So you know, you might even say yeah. with God that even the idea of calling God He is metaphorical. Yeah. Yes. Because. I do. He is he she is without gender. Yeah. So you use this metaphorical idea, father. Yeah. And then that becomes the reality. That just reinforces exactly. it. So people turn up and go, Oh yeah, but he's called father in the Bible. Yeah, but that doesn't mean yeah. that he's Yeah, male. exactly. Yeah, exactly. And thank the Lord for the apophatic tradition. So we do immediately go as soon as we make a metaphor, but of course we have to say, But God is not that and God is not that. Thank the Lord for the apophatic tradition. It's, exactly. It's, it's, what a great... We should have that on T-shirts. We should, I think. yes. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but also, and, and, and just to say, you know, if you're perfectly happy with things as they are, don't rock the boat. You know, if you like calling God he and father, and if you in a church where women aren't allowed to teach or become senior pastors and you're happy with all of that, yeah, don't rock the boat. Keep it going. God bless you. That's fine. This is probably not the podcast for you, to, by the way, but, no, you know, no. that's that's fine. <laughs> Great. But, I don't know. I'd quite like a bit of boat rocking there, I think, if that's the case. <laughs> but, but... Anyway, thank you, Rebecca. And thank you, Margaret, because what I hear you both saying is let's think about the language that we're using. And, of course, Margaret was saying we've actually got a bit of freedom to play with it as well, which I also like very much indeed. OK, so moving on. Uh, Jill says this. Good morning, Joe. She wrote it in the morning. That's what we've learned. Uh, we're still loving. She the... wrote it just to you is what we learned. Yes, I know. I like that. And uh, and also she's looking forward to joining us both in October. Anyway, she oh, says okay. this. I've been reading Brian McLaren's book, Faith and Doubt. So loved hearing the two part chat. Lockdown has given me space to read and reflect more on faith, which has been eye opening. Although I can't help sometimes wishing that I was still in stage one on a faith journey so much simpler. Seriously, though, I'm enjoying questioning and exploring. Several things concern me, though, about the idea of labelling friends as being in stage one or two, which seems somewhat arrogant. I do, however, recognise the various stages within my own journey and often swap between them. I agree with Nick that it isn't really a linear journey. Nick talked about visiting different churches to satisfy different needs at different times. While it sounds a great idea, I do worry that it does sound consumery. Is that a word? 
as the eco-church rep in our church, I remember James Jones' book, Jesus and the Earth, and he expresses concerns about the role of the parish church being undermined. And then uh, she details a quote from it. And it says this, although I'm a supporter of the emerging church, of being church in a new way and of church planting, I want to resist the encroachments of the commuter church where crowds of Christians drive miles in their cars, often past deprived areas to worship in a smart building, sometimes located in a poor part of town. Christians come and go, but seldom connect with people who live in the community around the building. What opportunities are being lost of earthing the gospel in the neighbourhood? So a few of our friends in our church have wrestled with whether whether to leave or not, but are drawn back to the love of our friends of all stages of faith. We are lucky to have a reordered 19th century church with underfloor heating and no more pews. It would be fantastic if we can, as planned, all have access to a full range of services, socials, etc. under the same roof, open to the whole local community. Our church leadership is evangelical and concerned about attacks on a traditional view of marriage and sexuality. We find it very difficult to discuss these issues without undermining our relationships, which means so much to us. So I have no answers, just lots of questions. I guess that's a mid-faith crisis. Love, Jill. So I, I think I need to make something quite clear about this podcast. Mm. At least what I say on this podcast. Yes. I don't always fully think things through before saying them. <laughs> no, <laughs> not do I. It just comes out, doesn't it? We just well, we put the microphone on, and there we go. <laughs> yeah. Last week's thing about churches was mm. was what I was thinking at the time. I wasn't entirely thought through. I think I think there were a lot of challenges mm. there. No, well, not, yes, there were. But, uh, you know, I, I didn't have time to say last week, but I was thinking of Pete Ward's book back in the 90s called Liquid Church. Do you remember that? Do you remember Liquid Church? And he was saying... I don't know. There were so many... He was saying... Fresh it... expressions and messy church and liquid church. It's all very messy and lovely. <laughs> Sticky church, know. yeah. Sticky church. Moist church. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think that was one of yours, moist church, to be honest. <laughs> sounds yeah. like a place name, actually, doesn't it? Anyway. So I'm not saying for one minute it was a thought-through plan. Mm. And I think that is a good, valid mm. thing about the consumer-y kind of idea about it. I think what I had in mind was mm. absolutely a commitment to a, to a group of people in my community, where yeah. I am. Yeah, yeah. And, and earthed in that community. Yeah. And I think that, that is the problem with consumer churches, that actually there's not that link to where you yeah. are. You go elsewhere. So I, yeah. I think the core of it would be that. Hmm. Uh, and I also think, actually, I've been thinking about it, and I think there's that need, actually, for us to worship together in some way in that group. Mm. Um, yeah. Sharing communion would be the obvious one, because that is the core Christian yeah. activity. Yeah. I think it was the other bit around it, you know, the, around the orbit that I was thinking of, that, that maybe yeah. you could get elsewhere. But but those are, in a sense, the the add-ons. It's the, yeah. the, the community does remain, for me, the core bit. Yeah. And that might be in a small local church, or it might yeah. be some other way i don't know really. yeah no i thought a couple of things about that firstly um i thank you jill but i think i think going back to the dave Steele interview we need to emphasize kingdom perhaps a bit more than church i wonder whether that will help us right yeah sometimes i think we use those two words a bit interchangeably sometimes perhaps it's not helpful jesus emphasis was on kingdom i mean he says kingdom countless times well I presumably someone has counted it in the Gospels. It's over seven. Yeah, over seven. Sure. But church only gets mentioned twice, I seem to recall. So oh, okay. so we 
we've made a very big deal of church and I'm pretty sure Jesus didn't come to um, create Christianity as we know it. Um, he was a Jew. Let's not forget that. And he talked about the kingdom and his whole emphasis was on the kingdom. So so I think we would do well to to redress the balance a bit. You know, church has become this thing with buildings and PA systems and a worship band and rotors. And if you talk about kingdom, you won't talk about all of those things sometimes. So maybe I'm being a bit oversimplistic here, but I think that's important. The other thing is to say about, you know, Brian McLaren's and, and stage four. Stage four is universal love. And so that that by very nature includes people of different stages. So, yeah, I think it's absolutely right. I don't think we're to go around labelling others in stage one or stage two. Um, actually, we the only label perhaps we should give to people is there's someone who needs love <laughs> you know maybe that's the only one that's allowed but we are mm. here to love people and and I think it's always you know I love I'm a great believer in stating the blooming obvious and you know it's a good reminder you know if I speak in the tongues of men or angels but do not have love I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal you know with love is is the goal of this whole operation I think and you know schools of love that's what churches are mm. and we are learning to be loving people gracious caring kind people as god our father or mother or whatever <laughs> is towards us so you know i, I remember dallas uh, dallas willard saying you know faith needs to connect to our life exactly as it is you know what if jesus had our lives you know, our neighbours, our church as it is, you know, our, you know, lived in our country. How would Jesus behave, you know, if he had our kids <laughs> and our neighbours? Mm. And mm. and the goal of this this way that we're following is, is, is to go and be like Jesus would in that situation. Anyway, I'm just taking us back to basics, really. No, but I, I wonder if... I think it's quite helpful, unusually. Uh, but I wonder if um, <laughs> I wonder if the if we rephrased it, kingdom, or if we brought more of that language in, it would actually also help us with that other bit that Jill was talking about about mm. sort of being alongside people whose views are different to ours. Yeah, you know, if you're in a church with somebody mm. and your views are different, it's kind of like, well, what is the views of this church? What mm. you know, what's the official line here? Mm. But if if the church was just a sort of, you know, a, 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 a celebration of the kingdom mm. together or or a, a, mm. a, a walking together in the kingdom, you know, then maybe we wouldn't feel so, um, we wouldn't feel so much the need to make sure everybody follows the same line. Yes. And I think that is the big challenges. It's going to be a huge challenges for churches in the mm. UK going forward. To live mm. together with different opinions, because mm. there are going to be fewer churches. Mm. That's just a fact. You know that the churches mm. decline. There are going to be fewer churches, so we are going to have to learn to live together, mm. and to worship together, and to find these ways forward. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And thinking about faith is complex sometimes, which is why I think it's always refreshing to come back to real simplicity. And the simplicity for me is. You know, you have a discussion about the nature of God and, you know, is God male or is God female? And, you know, you have all those sort of discussions and, you know, how do we connect with the divine nature and all that thing? But I'm I like I have to come back to 
But now let's get back to basics. Am I being a better husband today? Am I being a better father? Uh, and, 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 you know, helpful to work colleagues. Because if all my thinking is not doing that, it's absolutely useless. Mm. And so I think I think it's really good to come back to that place, you know, compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. This is the areas we've actually got to be growing in as we wrestle with all these kind of, you know, difficult subjects sometimes. And as we try to get our head around some things that perhaps we can't always get our head around. But at the end of the day, it's all coming back to whether we're becoming more Christ-like. Well, the question that I think is really crucial for you, Joe, is uh, are you doing a shorter podcast? That's the, <laughs> that's the thing. Uh, I've, I've given up on the idea of are we doing a better podcast? Because no, that's not happening. We shouldn't, no. shouldn't set the bar very high. But uh, no, what I mean is we should really wrap this up, I guess. Yes, well, um, I'm, it may not be a shorter podcast, but it is a more loving podcast, and that's oh, what counts. That's, that, yeah, that should mm. be our strap line. Thank you. Mid-Faith Crisis, a more loving podcast. I love you, man. Oh, I love you. <laughs> love the listeners. Thank you for listening. Uh, well, most of them. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Thank you to everyone who writes in. Yes, indeed. And if people want to write in, they write in to... Joe at midfaithcrisis.org. Thank you to everyone who supports the podcast. That's ex uh, extremely yeah. nice of you. Yes, it is. And thank you to anyone who shares one on Facebook. We really appreciate that, that as well. So that's great. Oh, thank yeah. You. If you could leave uh, reviews or anything like that, anything you can do to spread the word, that, that would be great. Mm. And if you want to know what to do next after you've listened to this podcast, here's the answer from Dallas Willard. And he used to say this, go and do the next good thing. So there you have it. I'm off to have a beer. <laughs> well, that is a good thing. Mm, very good. 